Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. 17-14 is the final. One touchdown, we are world champions. Believe it, and it will happen. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Friday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com as well as the mobile app. He's Paul Dottino. I'm Lance Meadow with you for the next 60 minutes. Multiple ways for you to interact with us here on the program. But, of course, the program is presented by Cadillac, the official luxury vehicle of the New York football giants. Option 1, 201-939-4513. Option 2, Twitter, hashtag Giants Chat. You can also follow and interact with the two of us directly. I'm at Lance Meadow, one word, last name, M-E-D-O-W. He is at Giants W-F-A-N. And as a reminder, you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. So the Giants gearing up for a Sunday matinee at home after a two-game road trip against the AFC East. Wait a minute. Yes. The NFL actually plays games Sunday at 1 o'clock? Yeah, I know. That's something new. Really? Correct. Yeah, after four primetime games. Since when? Games. I know. In six weeks. It's refreshing to actually get a, a 1 p.m. Eastern kickoff. We had to be reminded here in East Rutherford, New Jersey, that that actually occurs. There's a window on Sunday afternoon in which football is played, Paul. I'm Starting glad to... at 1 o'clock. Yes, exactly. That's amazing. amazing to me. It is. I never would have thunk it. Who knew? New spectrums that we are opening up here on BBKL. But in all seriousness, they're going up against a Commanders team that is 3-3 three and three and snapped a two-game skid as they are coming off probably one of their best performances this season against the Atlanta Falcons. But before we get into the nuts and bolts, let's start with Brian Dable. He spoke to the media earlier today. Daniel Jones has still not been cleared for contact. He didn't give a game designation. We'll see that when the injury report comes out later today, but I don't think that's surprising. But he did rule out the three offensive linemen, Andrew Thomas, John mm -hmm. Michael Schmitz, as well as Matt Parrott. Evan Neal is still dealing with the ankle injury, but I think he's on the right side of questionable, yeah. Paul, is the way that I would put that in terms of his status. And Adoree Jackson also. Yeah. Excuse me, I believe has a sore knee. Uh, he also, I think, is on that side of the fence as well. Daniel Jones has not been cleared for practice yet, but if you look at my Twitter at GiantsWFAN, I did give you a short clip of him throwing at practice for the second straight day. Again, not cleared for contact. Until that happens, he's not getting into a game. Coach Dable would only say today that that's the way it stands today, and he's not ruling him out yet for Sunday. He's got to put out an injury report this afternoon. Now, by that time, maybe they'll be able to put him down for out. I don't know. But, um, you know, 
Look, I'd say the arrow's probably trending toward Jones not playing. I'm, I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm just thinking he hasn't taken any team snaps. Yeah. I mean, Paul, you connect the dots. Plus, I mean, not that you were insinuating this, but if he's not cleared to practice in the early morning hours, what's the chances that by the time we get to the afternoon hours that all of a sudden they flip the script? Yeah, I, I They I give him the clear. I, yeah. I don't, I don't see, see it either. You know? Sure. And, you know, even if Coach says, well, he's doubtful with a game-time decision— Again, what's the odds of the doctors changing their mind and letting them have full contact within 48 hours from now? I, I just got to think that that's not likely. Yeah, I'm completely with you. See, if you go down the hypothetical road, Paul, if they cleared him for contact today, let's go down that hypothetical road, and he gets in some team reps today, right. and they still say, okay, it's going to be a game-time decision— you could say, okay, maybe there's a chance because the hurdle of being cleared for contact. But if we're talking about the Friday before a Sunday game, you're still not cleared for contact. This is, once again, my personal opinion. I think Paul and I are absolutely on the same page. It would be very slim to see a quarterback pull a 180 and get out there for a game. But it goes back to the conversations we had all offseason. We talked about prioritizing the backup quarterback position and bringing in somebody who is not just a stopgap, but somebody that you feel good could go out, run your offense, and help you win football games. And, Paul, I think Tyrod Taylor proved that in the last game against the Buffalo mm -hmm. Bills. He helped them move the football. Did they want to score more? Absolutely. Do they need to finish better in the red zone? 100%. But his decision-making, his comfort with the offense, and what stood out to me the most is the fact that they came into the game and they said, we know we have offensive line issues. We're going to move the pocket, and we could do that because of Tyrod Taylor's mobility. And that, to me, was maybe the biggest plus that he was able to provide. Because, Paul, how many times have you seen in NFL history, not just Giants history, you go from a Daniel Jones running mobile quarterback and then the backup is a statue. He's the complete opposite. So you cannot run the same things with your backup that you do with Daniel Jones. That's not an issue for the Giants. They know they can run exactly pretty much what they set forth with Daniel Jones with Tyrod Taylor. And that, to me, is much more attractive for him. Well, he also threw the ball downfield a few times. Yeah. Besides, you know, moving the pocket and escaping some pressure. Remember, he was only truly sacked twice. One of the three sacks was because he bobbled the ball, fumbled it, and had a fall on it. And it, so it went down as a sack sure. because he was in shotgun formation. But against the Bills team that came into last weekend with 21 sacks leading the NFL – they only got to him twice. Part of that was because of his mobility, his sixth sense, and then the other part of it was because of the play calling. So you put those things together, and yes, they lost the game, but did they have a realistic chance to win? They did. And that goes to your point, because that to me is the primary requirement of a backup quarterback. And that's why we had all these conversations, and not to you, know, you liked him from the beginning. Love Tyrod. You Taylor. wanted him here. I've always been a fan of Tyrod. You Taylor. wanted him yeah. here two years ago. Yep. You said that's the guy they should go for. Yeah, and that's why I'm happy. A, I'm happy to see him doing well because. On good a side dude. note, he's a good dude, but number two, Paul, you look at what he's gone through. How many times does he mm -hmm. get the backup job, the starter goes down, and then he gets hurt? It happened with the Chargers, that unfortunate shot that punctured his lung, you know, where he had an opportunity to step in, and that was when they brought in a young quarterback by the name of Justin Herbert. Then he goes to Houston, where you have another young quarterback. He gets in. He gets hurt again. So there was opportunity after opportunity. And of course, you never want to see the starter go down, but... Here, his number gets called again, and knock on wood, he's been able to hold up at least in the sole opportunity he's received. And if I may add, two of his prettiest throws of the night 
wound up not amounting to anything because he threw a 43-yard completion inside the left sideline to Hyatt, which was right on a dime. You could not have made a better throw, and Hyatt made a spectacular catch, only to find out that the officials decided Evan Neal was downfield and they pulled it back. I mean, that would have been sure points on that drive, probably a field goal at the very least. I mean, I, I can't imagine they wouldn't have gotten any points out of that drive because it was deep enough across the 50. The other beautiful throw that he had was late in the game to Slayton down the left sideline, which was right in the bucket. And the defensive back did a phenomenal job of ripping that ball out. He had his whole arm across Slayton's chest when he pulled it out. That was very well played. I don't know that you could see a better play by a corner on that pass than the way the Bills were able to execute it. And, And it was a perfect pass. Slayton was right there. I did not give him a drop. I thought it was that well of a defensive play. The pass defense was absolutely picture perfect. That I don't believe you can give a pass defense and a drop on the same play. I think if it's a drop, it's the receiver's fault for not holding on to the ball. If it's a pass defense, it's because the defensive player made the play he's supposed to make so that your guy could not catch it. I I think those are two totally different things. Yeah, it's impossible for them to coexist. I would agree with you. So I did not give Slayton a drop on that ball, but it was a gorgeous throw. And both of those, both of those throws said to me, not that I had any doubt because I've seen Tyrod Taylor in practice, he throws a nice ball. He always has. Sure. And and that said to me, those two balls said to me, holy smokes, man, you know what? T- Taylor, Taylor's got something here. You know, again, not that there's a quarterback controversy, but he can give you a chance. And Cleveland, by the way, is the other stop that I forgot to mention earlier where he was with Baker Mayfield. Mm-hmm. He starts the season, he gets hurt, Baker takes over, the rest is history. So it was three different stops where he had an opportunity. Unfortunately, he cannot hold up from a durability standpoint. And Christian Benford, by the way, was the defensive back for the Bills that yes. made the play that you're referring yes. to. correct. Who at least deserves credit from that standpoint. But yeah, placement, decision-making, Tyrod Taylor, that's been his MO. He's had, I'm not putting him in Aaron Rodgers' territory, but... If you actually look at a statistical analysis, he's up there in terms of one of the best touchdown-to-interception ratios, Paul, in well, recent NFL history because he's been so good in terms of where he wants to go with the football, and you know he knows the offense. Look, I know how this is going to come off. I like the Giants' chances to win Sunday. I really do. Washington's allowed more sacks than the Giants have this year because Howell holds the ball too long. About three seconds in average. He he wants to make a big play downfield, so he will hold it an extra second or so just to see if his guys can get open. Now, I get it. The Giants only have five sacks, and Thibodeau has four of them. That's a very low number. Their pressure number's better. They're they're in the middle of the pack, I think, in in the league in terms of their their pressure number. Their sack number is is almost non-existent. But when you consider that they don't necessarily want to put Howell in harm's way with their line being what it is and how he holds the ball, the Giants probably don't want to put Tyrod Taylor in harm's way. And we saw that last week with the way they were game planning some of Which the I stuff. Which I thought was a great adjustment. It really was. Yeah. But why could you do that? Because Barkley was back. And he ran for 93 yards. You can't do that because you're handcuffing yourself too much if you don't have the threat of a running game. And Barkley, this is why we say Barkley's a weapon. He's not just a running back. 
He is a weapon. He makes all the difference in terms of how the defense has to respect what you're doing on the other side of the ball. So I think this is a battle between two running games on Sunday. I really do. And I'm going to take Barkley over Robinson of the Commanders seven days a week and twice on Sunday. In fact, this Sunday, I am taking him twice. <laughs> and that's that's why I believe the Giants will win this game. I think defensively, they've played almost eight quarters of really terrific football over the last three weeks. I'm going to skip over that Miami game because the Dolphins offense had so many explosive plays. But what the Giants did against Seattle and what the Giants did against Buffalo, defensively, that performance is good enough to win three-fourths out of your games. Sure. Well, when you hold the opposition to the point total, remember, Seattle got a defensive touchdown, so yeah. that doesn't count against the Giants' defense, and the Bills scored a pair of touchdowns. Your defense is putting you in a position where you're winning games. That's why it comes back to, Paul, the offense finishing drives. I no agree doubt. with you. I think when you look at this from a matchup standpoint, there are two things that stand out to me. Number one, Washington's defense is giving up a lot of yardage. Each of the last three opponents have had over 400 total yards of offense. You could say Washington's been a bit of the bend-but-don't-break philosophy unit, especially last week against the Falcons. Atlanta only scored 16 points, but they had over 400 yards total offense. So you say to yourself, okay, well, Desmond Ritter and company were able to move the ball. So mm -hmm. if the Giants look at it on paper, it's attractive, but... It's the same issue that the Falcons are having conversations with themselves. Sure. You move the ball, but you didn't punch it in enough. And if you get into that 16-point territory, Paul, this is where I take that point about, okay, it's promising, but you may not put up enough to give your defense a lifeline. So it's twofold here. Can they move the ball effectively against this Washington team? But what do they do specifically in the red zone? That, to me, is going to make or break this game. Well, I'm of the opinion that the Giants can hold Washington under 20 points on the defensive side of the ledger. And any time you do that, at least it was years ago, now it's Madden football and video game football, so they'll say differently. But, but for years and years and years, the talk was always from a defensive perspective. If you know that you can keep the other team in the teens, you're in really good position to win the game. Now, today it's probably keep them under 21. Keep them under 23. Yeah. That, I, I think we that, that's like raise the bar be, a bit. You had to. Yeah. Because yeah. it's now a passing league. And, and more 21 to 23 is still very respectable. Sure it general. is. Sure yeah. it is. That, that's a respectable number. Yeah. I believe last year the Giants gave up uh, about 23 a game. In that ballpark. And, yeah. and, and that's a good number for a good defense. I think the Giants can hold Washington under 20. Which is, which is why, you know, I'm saying they've got a real chance to win. Because I'd like to believe that the Giants' offense, with some good field position, hopefully, okay, we want to help those guys out a little bit, yeah. can score 17 to 20, 21, 23 points. I'd like to think that that's within their capabilities, why they can win the game. Well, Washington, just to give you an idea, this season, their lowest point total was three in a lopsided loss to the Buffalo Bills, coincidentally, common opponent. Outside of that bad game, and that was by far the worst game for Washington, they have scored 20 points or more in the remainder of their games. And that's obviously five because they're three and three mm -hmm. on the season. So could you keep them in that 19-point area? Sure. I think the Giants' defense has proven that if they don't give up the explosive plays, which they didn't do against the Buffalo Bills, then you're going to do some damage control. Now, I would argue, I think over the last few weeks, Washington's offense has been functioning 
and I use the key term functioning a little bit better than Buffalo because you had now two straight games, Paul, and I'm not taking anything away from the Giants' defense, but against the Jaguars, that Bills' offense did not look good until the fourth quarter, and it was the same routine. So I don't know if that says something about the caliber of the defenses they're going up against or it says something about themselves, but Washington, as many sacks as Sam Howell has taken— they have been able to move the football. He's spreading the wealth. He's not playing favorites. You got five guys with at least 130 receiving yards. You have mm -hmm. six guys with at least one touchdown. And it's interesting. You brought up the run game for Washington. I don't think they've been running the ball effectively at all this season. No. I would say Gibson and Brian Robinson are better as receivers out of the backfield. Gibson this season. especially. Yeah. Then Well, Robinson, too. I mean, Robinson has a few screen passes where he's actually sneakily taking it into the end zone. But I would say they're using their running backs more effectively as an extension of the pass game mm -hmm. as opposed to the conventional game on the ground. Which is why, again, I say that the, the Giants should have an advantage in this game because of Barkley. Without Barkley, I'm not feeling nearly as comfortable. Again, all due respect to Matt Breida. He's a pro's pro. But we saw what the Giants' run game looked like and the respect that they did not command while Barkley was out of the lineup. He's back in the lineup now. And we saw, even though the point total did not increase, Giants wound up with nine points in Buffalo. Well, and that's why I keep okay. going back to the red zone. But what we did yeah. see was, what, five red zone trips? Correct. Volume-wise. Okay. Sure. So, so we saw the effectiveness of the offense with Barkley as a threat, not just as a threat, but actually a component, at, you know what? They can move the ball now. They've got the ability to get downfield. They can threaten a team's defense. That's a totally different dynamic. I agree with you, Paul, but can you finish? That's my well, next question, though, Paul. Because could you see a game where the Giants get, I won't go 400. Let's not go too crazy. Could they get 350 total yards of offense in this game? Do you yeah. think that's reasonable? I don't think I don't think that's Okay. So, I don't think that's impossible. But my counter to that is if you show me a box score, I didn't watch one snap in the game, I will say, okay, the Giants had 350 total yards. Now I'm going to say, okay, what was the point total equivalent to the 350 total yards? And the I problem know. is, I mean, listen, the numbers don't lie. They're dead last in the NFL. They're averaging under 12 points a game. We talked about the Buffalo game. You settled for only three field goals. And I'm just bringing up NFL red zone efficiency because I think this is a good indicator. The Giants right now are 30th in the NFL. 31%. Correct. 31%. Right here. So there you go. They're ahead of only the Jets and the Pittsburgh Steelers, just to give you an idea of what we're looking at. Now, in comparison, okay, as many issues as Washington has had, with respect to the 34 sacks that they've given up, even though the Giants technically are right ahead of them. Washington, though, and here's, to me, the biggest difference, Paul, between the two teams, and you're shaking your head. Yes, you know sir. where I'm going. Yes, they have a conversion rate in the red zone of 62%. That's seventh best in Correct. the NFL. That is the biggest differential right now between both of these teams. That is true. But Saquon Barkley has missed most of the Giants' games. That's fair, but he even when adds, he was playing, though, earlier, I, I understand they, they were, were hit or miss. I understand they were yeah. 0 for 5 the other night in Buffalo. I, I'm, I can't dispute that. It's a fact. I would still say to you that defenses are playing the Giants' offense much differently when he's on the field. Well, they have to account for him. Sure. And he hadn't been on the field for a month. So the number to me is very skewed. Well, and that's why we have more of a sample size of Saquon being on the field. We'll see. And, and by the way, the law of average plays. And by out. the way, I had I was talking to a scout yesterday, actually, and he said to me, 
Well, the Giants had all their guys opening night when they lost to Dallas 40 to nothing. And I said, okay, you want to factor all of that into the numbers, go ahead and do it because those numbers are real. Facts are facts. I still look at that game as the fourth exhibition game. I think this team was not at all uh, in position to compete against Dallas that night. Uh, the offensive line, the starting five, had played, what, all but nine snaps? Or was it ten snaps together in the preseason? You guys know what my philosophy is. I've never changed on this. I believe the regulars have to play more in the preseason, and I always believe that your starting five offensive linemen, unless they've been together for a few years, they specifically, that unit more than any other unit on the field, has to play more preseason snaps together. And when you put those guys out there in that spot against that established, difficult Dallas defensive front, you kind of know what's going to happen. And as much as I was very optimistic, there was always that little voice in the back of my head, and I said it before the opening game. I said, boy, the relative few snaps that these guys have had, that's something that's bothering me going into the game. It was, uh, it was that little voice in the back of my head that kept saying, oh, this could be a problem, this could be a problem. And I did my best to ignore it and figured this was time for the Giants to show Dallas what the deal is. And as it turned out, uh, that voice was a lot louder than it needed to be because Dan Quinn and his guys really exploited the Giants' offensive line that opening game. So... I'm I'm throwing that away as just a happenstance that, you know, was was unfortunate because it was the first game of the season. And I think now that you're a month in and you're finding your sea legs, um, a lot more of the Giants players are much more of what they're supposed to be. And we've seen that defensively more so than we have on offense because excuse me, the line continues to look like a jigsaw puzzle sure. that has been knocked on the floor. I mean, let's face it. That's what it is. Today, Brian Dable said he couldn't name his starting five offensive linemen. Well, because right now, there's so many players that are out in terms of the starters, and you brought a lot of new faces just in. So yes. you don't know whether or not some of these players are going to be ready to go. Just off the couch. Yeah, I mean, they just signed two guys off other teams' practice squads. I mean, the coaching staff is going to do everything to prepare them, Paul, but Thank goodness for Tyree Phillips, who was here Correct, so at year. least he has some familiarity. Thank goodness. That's fair, yeah. Hopefully. Hopefully, uh, they can they can acclimate him so quickly. Uh, I, I laugh. I, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna speak off the cuff, folks, because I laugh. I saw Tyree Phillips in the locker room yesterday. He was walking through. Yeah, good to see you again. You know, he smiled. He's like, yeah, nice to be back. And I, I said, uh, okay, so no more no more green in the closet. Okay, they just signed him off the Eagles practice squad. Yeah. I said, no, no more green in the closet. Right? He goes, nope, nope, no more green. I said, good. I said, all that green stuff. I hope you threw it out, and if you didn't, it needs to be burned. And what was now, his response now, to that? He laughed. He, laughed. he thought okay. it was funny. Well, at least he, he chuckled. Thought it, he thought it was funny. Sure. Yeah. He thought it was funny. Well, it just goes to show you when you least suspect, you never know who's going to return. And that's oh, why. Sean Harlow from Dallas back to the Giants. Now, Correct. Right? There's another. Guy. There's and another guy. Also, by the way, interestingly, he and Justin Pugh were teammates in Arizona. Mm-hmm. When it was 2021 and 2022. So it just goes to show you it's a very small world. But that also.
puts it in perspective where the Giants are right now, where they're looking at guys who oh. are here in the summer to try to bring back because at least they have some type of an evaluation of what they can and can't do. Dable was specifically asked, could Pew play left tackle again this week? And he said he could. He said, I, I haven't decided yet, but but he could. I mean, he held up in the second half pretty well. Yeah, and he has to be in the conversation. <laughs> doesn't he? I mean... <laughs> because also, he doesn't know, just like he went into the game thinking, oh, I'm going to be my left guard position right. the entire game. And then what happens? Josh Azudu goes down in the blink of an eye, and now Pew has to tap back into a position he hadn't played in eight years. So that's more of a reason why, even if he's not starting there, they have to be prepared that they may have to move personnel around depending on how the game flows. Just to go back, go ahead. You wanted to add something with respect to that? Well, I was only going to crack yep. a joke, and you've heard of Iron Man football where the uh, linemen play both defense and offense. I was wondering if Dexter Lawrence and Leonard Williams wanted to take a try. Well, hey, in high school, right, <laughs> guys are interchangeable. They play right? offense and defense. And I guarantee you, you know what, it'd be interesting. If you took a survey of the entire Giants roster. How, how about Sean Robinson? He's pretty big. There we go. How many of those players, though, in all seriousness, have played, have played on line the offensive line? At some point. You know, I would think going back to high school, some of the guys I suspect, right? And think? quite honestly, that happens even in college. Yeah, college too. Of course. It does happen. Absolutely. Anyway. Not as much, I would say, as high school. No. But if you're put in a jam or a situation, you never know. I mean, we've seen it. For example, Stefan Diggs was a defensive back earlier in his career. And you could argue sometimes that makes guys even more effective when they flip because they know what the position they're going up against. That has, has to happened. deal with Trayvon Diggs. His brother, coincidentally, he was a wide receiver. And then he switched to defensive back. Well, let me ask Cowboys. you this. Is there a no stockland football that would want to go up against Dexter Lawrence as a center? <laughs> well, if they love physicality, Paul, and they should, my response would be, I'm sure some guy we could find that is up for the challenge. They just know that they're going to have to head into the hot tub, or the ice tub, I should say, after the game yeah. because of all the banging that will go around. But I wanted to go back to your point about the Giants not necessarily having all their personnel at their disposal and you not reading into the red zone numbers, let's say, from start to finish. But in fairness, Paul, Washington, right, their offensive line, you could argue they've had maybe everybody at their disposal, but they've been far from an efficient group because of all the sacks and the run blocking, yet they're converting better in the red zone. So this is why I say, and you've heard me talk about this on this program time and time again, specifically as it pertains to the Giants, you're not going to have all 22 guys at your disposal for the entire season. Not in today's game. Now, are the Giants in the extreme situation? Sure, where they've lost a high volume of offensive linemen, but you've got to take what's in front of you and you have to say there's going to be games where you're going to be down a running back you're going to be down a wide receiver you're going to be down an offensive lineman and the NFL doesn't say okay we take these three or four games out of the equation no, so that they the count numbers them. look better they right. count them and I'm all. not saying that you're campaigning to do that so that's why I try not to pick and choose so much I look at the whole group overall and we've got enough of a sample size now that we're six seven games in for everybody this season well far. you know and I'm not using this as a defense for the Giants this year this is just a general yeah. football comment it's funny when people will say Oh, such and such a team lost 12 players to injury this year, and the other team only lost eight players to injury this year. Well, much like you always say about what do you do with those turnovers, right? You have to go another level in. Yep. Well, it's not about the number of guys you've lost. It's what positions did they play and what's the caliber of their ball? Because when you lose a Saquon Barkley and you lose an Andrew Thomas – 
at the same time, you're now dramatically not only in fa- in, in, in impacting the heartbeat of your offense with Barkley and suffering a big drop-off, which affects your entire offensive playbook, you're now losing your, your cinder block of a left tackle, who, by the way, is a dynamite run blocker and is the conduit under which your passing game is built. Now try losing them both at the same time and then throw in your center. Sure. Who, albeit a rookie, was playing really well. If I said to you, pick any three players who at the same time are going to get knocked out of the Giants lineup and devastate this team, well, aside from the quarterback, who, oh, by the way, he's been knocked out of the lineup too. I don't know that I could have picked too many players other than the center, the left tackle, and the running back. No, they go hand in hand. Yeah. So, so the the amount of damage that was done by these particular injuries at this particular time during the toughest part of their schedule. Look, these results in retrospect, given these circumstances, are not surprising. They're not. not. Yeah. No, if I, I don't told think anybody's you, stunned by this. And if right. I told you a week before the Dallas game that these people were going to be eliminated from the lineup for the next five games or six games, you would have said to me, well, the Giants will be lucky to win two. Yeah. No, you would have absolutely said it would be tough sledding and that the offense would essentially be handicapped and they'd have to find other ways to manufacture production, which is why there's a lot more pressure on the defense right now. That's why I keep talking about it's almost like the defense has to score touchdowns. And sometimes if the defense scores touchdowns, as we saw in the Dolphins game, that still may not be good enough. If the offense doesn't capitalize on the favorable field position, which they've had, I would argue, against Miami and Buffalo in each of the last two Mm -hmm. weeks. But the point total just unfortunately has not matched those benefits. All right, few reminders before we open up the phone lines. Giants Huddle Podcast, you can check that out on your favorite podcast platform. You can also head to Giants.com slash podcast for more info. As far as tickets are concerned, the 2023 NFL schedule is absolutely officially out. Single-game tickets are on sale now. Don't miss the Giants at MetLife Stadium this season. You can visit Giants.com slash tickets to secure your seat. And the Giants' official connected TV streaming app, it's Giants TV. It brings you original video content and game highlights on demand direct to Big Blue fans. Giants TV is free. It's on Apple TV, Roku, Amazon Fire TV, as well as the Giants mobile app. As we are setting the stage for the Giants and Commanders Sunday afternoon, 1 p.m. Eastern at MetLife Stadium as we gear up for week seven. Let's open up the phone lines. We've got Fabio in New Jersey joining us here on BBKO. What's happening, Fabio? How are we doing, guys? Lance, Paul, it's great to speak with you. Hi, uh, you too. Then, I got a couple points and then two questions for you guys. Um, okay, so look, last week was great. I uh, was really happy with the way the offense performed. I mean, I don't think it was, uh, you know, any. Uh, I, I don't. I don't leave it up to, you know, just whatever luck that uh, Barkley was starting to break free in the run game in the second half. There, you know, Tyrod was really putting the ball on on the dot and really exposing that defense. Uh, Wink, you know, look, it was clear that he was dialing up the pass defense. I mean, we held Buffalo to under 200 yards passing, and but uh, we were still kind of suspect in that run game. And I think that kind of segues into my first question here. You know, look, if you look at the the yards per carry in the NFL right now. Uh, I think we are above Buffalo, but below Washington. Uh, Barkley didn't really do too well in the run game last week up uh, outside of those two big bursts, runs, right? Um, so, I mean, the question to you guys really, look, it, it, 
how do we think we, we're going to see like another stifled up run game out of Barkley uh, outside of maybe some big burst run plays, uh, given that, you know, Buffalo, right? They, they're really bad against the run, uh, giving up, I think it's like almost five yards per carry. Uh, and Washington's only in the 4.4 range. Do we think he's going to be stifled up, or do you guys think, you know, we're really going to be able to take advantage of, of that again, um, even though the rest of the NFL has been able to, uh, to really run well against them? I got Barkley for over 100 rushing yards this week. Let's put it that way. I don't know if that answers your question, but I think it kind of does. Well, Washington actually, if you okay. look, yeah, if no, you, yeah, I was going to say, if you look at the numbers, they've actually done pretty decently against opposing number one backs this season. I think James Cook was most effective, but that was a lopsided game. Washington hasn't been a shutdown unit against the run, as you mentioned, but you know they got Deron Payne in the middle, who's not a big sack guy this season, but has still been pretty solid against the run, and we know what the other pass rushers can do to help that cause, and I think if they can get into some favorable downs and distances on third down and you can lean on the run game, you know, that will set up Saquon to have success. You know, that to me has to coexist when we start to project the numbers that he has. Are you playing from behind or are you playing in a tight game where you're moving the chains and you're being able to run effectively on first and second down and the third downs even affords you the opportunity to run the football? You know, if you're facing some third and twos and third and threes, the Giants should be running the football against Washington this weekend. See, that's why I favor more balance by throwing on the early downs. If they're going to slam Barkley into a brick wall on first and ten and second and nine, then he's only going to have 40 yards on Sunday. And then your, your skeptics and your critics are going to have a field day. But that can't be what they need to do. They need to be able to, early in the game, throw enough on first and ten and on, on second and 10, so that maybe on third and three, Barkley does break off a 15-yard run. They've got to keep the, the commanders, I almost said the other word, the commander's defense has to be kept honest. That's the whole yeah. point. Barkley, Barkley yeah. commands respect. Well, you're not going to get the respect that he deserves if you tell Washington on every first and 10, we're going to slam him right between the tackles. You, that's where the utilization comes in. That's not about pure talent now. That's about how are we using our weapons. And if you're going to yeah. do that to him, you're putting him at a disadvantage and playing right into Washington's hands because he's going to no, run for right. one yard on first down. He's going to run for two yards on second down. And then Tyrod Taylor's facing third and seven and running for his life. Well, that's why I think no, using right, him as a receiver right, could be key here, Paul. Because the one thing that Washington has a weakness in is their corners do not tackle very well. There's a reason why no, Emmanuel don't. Forbes, their first-round pick, was benched last week. Yeah. And one of the reasons why he was benched, he's had some coverage issues, but he has also not been very good in run-stopping. So I would, what I would do is, you don't want to run Saquon on some of those early downs, that's fine. I would test whether or not they can tackle him on the perimeter sure. if you utilize him as an extension of the run game through the pass. Look, I'm just telling you well, this. But we're going to have a tough time getting to the outside. No, I mean, like, uh, look, I, I think some callers early in the week outlined this. I mean, we just let, we just let Kaiser go. But our tight ends outside of Waller really, I mean, Bellinger really don't set the edge too too well, right? So, like, I, I, I mean, isn't that why we haven't been running to the outside as much as... Well, but know, I'm not I talking about running to the outside. Like I'm talking about passing to the outside. He's talking about yeah, that's flares. What I was flares. Yeah, yeah, He's yeah, yeah, flares yeah, in the yeah, flat. Yeah, yeah, I was not sense. talking about running to the outside. You know, yeah. Cager, by yeah, the way, yeah, did yeah. resign to the practice squad, so he is back. Uh, but, but, you know, they could have, they'd have to elevate him for the game, and I think they will. I mean, I think they want yeah. three tight ends on Sunday, so he'll get an elevation. 
But see, that's the other thing you could do. If you're in a third and three, load it up. Play three tight ends. Load it up. They did it two years ago in Seattle. Remember when Colt McCoy had to go out to Seattle and everyone said there's no way in hell the well, Giants going to win the game? And they just said we're yeah. going to go double and triple tight end all day long and punch the living crap out of that Seahawks front. Well, I'm not suggesting they do that Sunday because I do want them to use the pass early to open things up. But what I'm saying is on an obvious run situation, if it's third and three, load it up. Show me the beef, baby, and, and just let them have it. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. And and look, you're right. we got to expose him with the pass. I mean, that's one thing. Uh, it's not knocking Daniel at all, but Tyrod really has been putting the ball on the guys, right? You're not seeing Campbell falling down on every throw if it's a little bit behind him, et cetera. Um, I'm excited to see Barkley out on the field and not slipping around like he was up in Buffalo uh, on his own home turf here. Um, and uh, hopefully we can get back to, uh, you know, beating up on the on the Washington football team like we have in the past. I think, what, we won like 60, above 66% of our games against them. 7-4-1 so. <laughs> against yeah. Washington yeah. in the last 12 meetings. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, I, I know you guys got more callers, so last question here. Um, I know a lot of guys are talking about selling off pieces here at the trade deadline. That's not what I want to talk about in terms of, like, the big guys, right? I want to keep those big guys with us and, and keep everyone happy in the locker room. Uh, but, you know, one of the one of the guys that I'm, I'm looking at that I'm just like, can we get anything for him? It's similar to the Kadarius Tony situation. Look, Ojolari really has not panned out. I mean, the guy outside of his rookie year has not panned out, has not played at all. I mean, is that someone, do you, do you think we might be able to get him, you know, get him out of here and get like a fifth round pick? I mean, I know he was core in terms of our scheme here and what we would like to be doing this year, but it, it's really not working. Well, but I mean, what does a fifth round pick really do for you, Fabio? You know, it sounds like you just want to get something for him. Does that change yeah, the trajectory? Something. Yeah, but does that change the trajectory of the organization? And who's to say that a team is willing to take a chance on a guy that, to your point, has not proven he could stay healthy? How is that going to help them if they're concerned yeah. about whether or not he's going to hold up? You know, you're really trying to sell extremely low on a player right now. And more often than not... You know, the NFL market knows what's going on with these other teams and other players. They're looking at yeah. rosters across the board. You're, you're somewhat, it sounds to me like you're trying to pull a fast one on the rest of the league. And I would say that the, <laughs> hey, the league knows. successfully on the Chiefs, right? We did it to the Chiefs already. So. Well, but they won a Super Bowl, Fabio. <laughs> they, yeah, no, no, I know. But yeah, look, outside of, outside of Tony catching that touchdown pass, which I'm sure they have other receivers on the squad who could have done the same thing. You know, it's not like he's really done much for them. So True. Well, uh, and he's been a little bit banged up. I mean, now he's back healthy. But I think that's a trade you have to wait and see what happens over the course of several seasons, not necessarily over the course of several weeks. But something tells me I don't think Kansas City is overly concerned. And I appreciate the phone call, Fabio, with respect to the phone call. And And hypothetically about injured players, unless there's some caveat that has been changed with the injured reserve rule, I don't believe you can trade a guy who is on injured reserve just just for the uh, record, uh, for people who want to maybe talk about some of the guys who have been injured, I don't think you can trade an IR guy. We'll see if I can get to the bottom. It's a good question. I'm not sure whether or not... You couldn't years ago. Now, has that been changed and tweaked? I don't believe it has. Because I want to say, I think you can part ways with a player, but... Well, you can waive him injured. Sure. But I don't believe yeah. you're allowed to trade a guy who is on injured reserve. I don't know. I, I Part of me believes you can. But once again, I'm, I'm looking to see maybe if we Pearson, can get... Pearson, take a look. See if you can find it. I, I don't think you can. I know years ago you could not. 
but that rule may have been updated. Look, here's what you got to understand if you're the Giants. And I don't want to put bouquets of flowers in people's heads, but the schedule is not quite as daunting as it was the first month and a half of the season. If somehow you can scratch out this win on Sunday, and I believe it's very realistic that you can do that, well, now you're two and five. You play a Jets team that I know has a terrific defense, but they're not in a position where they can go into any game and say that they're a lock to win either. So, again, you're facing a comparable, a middleweight, if you will, of, of a fellow, even if you want to go a comparable lightweight, that's fine. The point is the Jets are still, in my opinion, in your talent division based on what you're talking about now. They're not a heavyweight contender. They're not. No, okay. not at all. They have their fair share of problems. Okay. Sure. Yeah. So you look at that, and, basically, and then you look at the Raiders. They'd certainly be in the same weight class, too. I mean, look at the next five games outside of the Dallas Cowboys. Are there any bona fide heavyweight power punchers on that list? In the next five weeks, are there any outside of the one game in Dallas? You have to look at that and say, hey, we got another big piece of this schedule to play. Got to have confidence. Got to have assertiveness. Otherwise, pack up your lockers right now and go home. And I don't think that's a problem for okay. this team. Either. I don't think it's yeah. a problem for this team either. Yeah. And I think they believe in themselves they know the talent that they have on the roster, albeit a bunch of it's injured. I think they believe that they can actually turn this boat around. And somehow, some way, somehow, and I'm not saying they will do it, but if they can somehow turn this boat around during this middle stretch of the season, all of a sudden the final third of the schedule becomes very interesting. Well, sure. I mean, if you're giving them a boatload of wins in the middle of the season, I just I keep going back to at this point, we could sit here, Paul, and we could talk about whether or not the competition now matches the intensity and caliber of the early teams. The bottom line is they have to prove they could score points. Okay? No doubt. You cannot continue to go with under 12 points as your season average. You can't continue to go into every game scoring between 10 to 15 points, which has been the trend. If that changes... Absolutely. Do they have a chance to beat the Raiders and the Commanders and the Jets and the Patriots? All these teams are far from offensive juggernauts. It's well, not as if you go into that game saying you got to score 40. But you got to prove it. We know Barkley's back, and that does make a difference. Perhaps Daniel Jones will be back, if not this week, next week. That would make a difference. Perhaps Andrew Thomas is another week or two away. That could make a difference. Perhaps John Michael Schmitz is another week away. You know, we're talking about players who are all, you really didn't know the value of these guys, maybe, until they were out of the lineup. And now that you see how devastating their losses were, maybe you now realize how good those players really are. And just think, when they're back, how much better that can help the situation. And I would say that is stating the obvious. And I don't think anybody would dispute that you bring back better talent. You hope that improves. I will say this, though. I think 
part of the common element with those teams. They may not be great offensively speaking, but you are going to be facing some really good defenses yep. in the next few weeks. So the Jets have a good defense. The Raiders' defense has dramatically improved based on last season. And as bad as the Patriots have been, you know, Belichick and that unit you know they can do some damage, especially based on the scheme. So that's why I still keep going back to offense, offense, offense. No doubt. And what's going to happen on that side of the ball will absolutely dictate whether or not they can put together a string of Ws. I, I do think the Giants' defense is on its way up, though. I think we're, oh, seeing, yeah. we're seeing them starting to climb. They're starting to gel. Bobby Okereke has had three really, really good games in a row. I know he missed Fant. He was one of the two guys who missed the tackle on that one long play. No, but overall, he has been solid. But he's had three double-digit tackle games and been all over the field. Even been involved in turnovers, which were foreign to the Giants until the last two weeks. Uh, So I think defensively, they're going to hold their own over the next month of the season. They will hold their own defensively. It will come down to... How many of these offensive guys can come back and give them a spark that might, might give them a better chance to put a little string together? I looked it up. Players on injured reserve can be traded as long as they were put on IR after the 53-man roster was finalized. Okay. So meaning that there's a chance for them to return. Now that's a tweak that's come into play the last couple of years because the IR list has changed as we know. Well, it's interesting because I looked back at 2018, teams were making proposals for that rule to be implemented. So it was recently... Yeah, the Broncos, I think. Correct. Denver had a proposal in 2018 where they wanted players on IR to be eligible to be traded. So this did happen recently. And the other reason why I think it makes sense is... You know, Calvin Ridley, if you recall, when he was traded, he was suspended. So yeah. if you could trade a guy, right, that was not playing because he was suspended, okay. why should you not be able to trade a player that is on injured reserve? And the way it works is the acquiring team can then designate the player to return. So they have the right to bring back that player or they can immediately activate the player if his previous team has already done so. Well, these, these IR changes to the basic IR rule basically came into play during COVID. That's what forced the league to start changing availabilities because they realized that with well with COVID going on and everything else, we we need players. (laughs) We're losing players too quickly, so they started to make it easier for practice squad guys to come up. The uh, activations on game day, and it should be that way. And then the IRs became uh, temporary IRs, short term IR, and designated to return IR. You know, this is all this was all COVID related. So I'm glad we were able to square that away. Now, as far as the Giants' defense is concerned, because that's what you brought up, and I would agree, they clearly have been playing better football. As far as the task at hand with Washington on Sunday, we talked about that Washington has not been running the ball that effectively. So I don't think that facet of the team is perhaps the one area to watch, though you don't want to allow a team to get hot in an area that they've struggled. To me, the biggest challenge here is Sam Howell in the passing game. Because, as I mentioned, they spread the wealth, and... I don't know where you stand. I would go so far to say I think Washington has better weaponry than Buffalo in terms of their passing attack, Paul. In terms of the depth and the utilization of those receivers, I think Washington puts more strain on your secondary than the Buffalo Bills do. Well, that would be because of Dotson, who had, what, seven touchdown catches last season, averaged 15 yards a grab, and was really burst onto the scene as a rookie, did a real good job. This year, he has been way down, hasn't caught more than 40 yards of of passes in one single game. 
there's the X factor for me, to be honest with you. I mean, you know, McLaurin, three of his seven games against the Giants, he's had at least 100 yards and a touchdown catch. He's a terrific, terrific player. And man, does he come up clutch against the Giants. He just takes that 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 fork and sticks it right in your <laughs> eye. You know, he he really just just when you think you got them, he makes a he makes a play for a first down, and and Big keeps the drive maker. alive. Yeah. He certainly is big pain in the rear end, but but it's Dotson, who right now is flying under the radar, and we know he's got ability. That's the kind of guy who might just kind of stick his head out of the sand and burn you this week. Well, and he had a big catch in the game here at MetLife Stadium last year. Yes, he did. If memory serves Not a touchdown, correctly. alluded to exactly. tacklers. When they were storming back, and that was a big reason why the game ended in a tie. Curtis Samuel, though, has played a more prominent role this season. And he's he sort of He's their jack-of-all-trades type of guy. They use him out of the backfield. They use him on short passes. They get him out in open space. So he has been right behind McLaurin in terms of the pecking order. But the other guy to watch out for who was not fully healthy over the last few years is Logan Thomas, the tight end. Big target. We know he was with the Giants organization, the former quarterback. And this is also why Washington is a bit of a head-scratcher because I want to give you an example. Logan Thomas was coming off his most productive game in the Thursday night affair against the Bears yeah, where he was the big target. He was Sam Howell's guy. Then you move the calendar forward a week against the Atlanta Falcons, Paul. He gets one catch for two yards. <laughs> this is what I'm talking about. Why it's a challenge trying to get a read on this Washington team because one game, it could be McLaurin. Another game, it could be a Dotson game. Then they can lean on Samuel. Now it's Logan Thomas, Brian Robinson. Most teams, I'm not saying they're as predictable, but you know going in, Josh Allen's going to throw the ball to Stephon Diggs, right? He's not making any secrets about that, correct? No. You would agree? Okay, so you don't have to do an in-depth study. You know who Allen likes. You know who well, he looks like. Well, Hal wants McLaurin in a big spot. I, okay, that's fair. But, Paul, if you look at how games have played out, he has leaned on, once again, Curtis Samuel and Logan Thomas sometimes down the stretch of games. So I think that's what makes this team a bit of a puzzle to try to figure out because they're not as predictable as most because most teams, they're not utilizing as many running backs, wide receivers, and tight ends, at least through the first six games, than how deep Washington goes. Well, I think the the things about how that you want to take advantage of, and, and you're right. He, he, he does try to mix things up, but again, in the most important spots, he wants McLaurin because McLaurin doesn't get 50-50 balls. They're 90-10 his. That's what he does. No, he's a high percentage guy. Okay. Sure. Uh, but here's the thing about, about Howell. Because he believes so strongly in McLaurin, he will force the ball, and you can pick him off. He's thrown six interceptions already this season. Four of them came in one game, though. Against Buffalo. Against Buffalo, yeah. That was his worst performance by far. Nine touchdowns, two interceptions in the other five games. So he's willing to force the ball because he wants the big play and he believes so strongly in his wide receivers. The other thing is he holds it too long. So so he has two really nasty traits that work against him. At this point, those things are going to prevent him from becoming an upper-echelon quarterback. Until he's able to get both of those things cleaned up, he's just going to be pretty good. And that's what he is. He's, he's pretty good. He's, 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 been, listen, he's a solid NFL it's starter. Only seven games, too, by the way, and that he's played. Absolutely. 
And he's got some Josh Allen tendencies in that he is strong and physical. He can run. Mobile. He yep. will break a tackle. He's not afraid to run into a guy. Well, we saw that in North Carolina in college. Okay. Yeah. No question. So he's got some of that in him. He's like a Kmart version of Josh Allen. <laughs> okay. Okay. He's got some of that in him. But, you know, until he cleans up those two things that we discussed, he's never going to get up to the higher levels. You're right. He's young. He's got time. He's got room to develop. He's got a new offensive coordinator this year in Eric Bieniemy. And that's the other thing. I'll let you continue. I want to okay. get to that. Yeah. So, so I'm not I'm not dissing Howell in any way, shape, or form. He's a work in progress who I think could be pretty good in this league over the course of time. He's got some upside to him. But there are things right now that you can identify that you can take advantage of. The internal clock. Yeah. is really what you're laying out. And I listened to Biennemi speak this week, as well as Ron Rivera, and they've seen it. It's a fine line. I think the sack issues for Washington, if you've followed this team, is twofold. It's the offensive line play. That goes without saying. But a lot of the sacks you could point to, if Sam gets rid of the football, maybe he avoids a negative play, is because, to your point, Paul, he's looking for the home run. And I use the baseball analogy are you going to settle? Josh Allen had these issues last season, right, with all these mm -hmm. red zone interceptions. He'd always go for the home run. And you would say, Josh, take the base hit, okay? Lay down the bunt. It's okay. You live to see another down. Sam has to learn that. I think that's his issue. He wants the home run, but you know what? The base hit will give you a manageable third down, will maybe help move the chains. So young quarterbacks, they go through those growing pains. There's no doubt about it. But I want to get to what you just hit on. We have not brought this up. The Eric Bieniemy factor. Yes, mm -hmm. they have a brand new offensive coordinator. The last few years, it's been Scott Turner. And we know Bieniemy comes from Kansas City, and he's a creative mind. They were a creative offense. And I was having a conversation with J.P. Finley recently, who covers the Commanders, yeah. and it'll be up on the most recent Giants Huddle podcast preview. And he, I was asking him about, you know, what has the creativeness of this offense been like? Have they tapped into Kansas City a little bit? Is he trying to be conservative? And he said, you know, they're putting guys in motion before the snap. They're trying to doll things up. Curtis Samuel is a guy specifically that B enemy likes. That's why I brought him up. Mm -hmm. So the point is the Washington offense that we've seen of old, don't expect that it's going to be the same bells and whistles. It's going to be different based on what the enemy is bringing to the table. It's just a matter of as long as the Giants defense can be disciplined and they don't fall for, you know, the dress up on these offenses, I don't think it's going to catch this defense off guard. But the enemy is definitely a guy that's still digging deep into his bag of tricks is my point because that is his M.O. coming over from Kansas City. It's interesting that uh, we've always thought about Washington over the years as a team that would be more physical and that would try to run the ball and establish that first. I mean, that's yep. that's kind of been their M.O. for a while. And yet, with the enemy, you're thinking more about the schematics, right? Well, to be honest, I don't know if they're doing themselves any favors in that regard. Might they have been better off leaning on the run game earlier in the year? I'm not so sure. At times, yeah. But it is what it is right now, and you know, that's why, although they've got, you know, a, a more respectable record than the Giants, um, you know, I'm just, I, I'm thinking this is a winnable game for New York. I'm sorry. I no, just do. I, and I know a lot apologize. Of well, a lot of people out there, you know, <laughs> yeah. want to probably throw stones at me, but I just do. No, I agree with you, too. I mean, of all the games we've been previewing, 
maybe with the exception of Arizona, because it was a bit earlier in the season. I thought Seattle was very winnable, too. I, I think Seattle was overlooked and doubted. I, I think Seattle has an extremely strong track record. Pete Carroll is known for getting his teams to play up or whatever it takes to make sure they can match the competition. So I would remove, my personal opinion, I remove the Seahawks. But this is a game that, can the Giants move the football against? Sure. Can they be within striking distance? Absolutely. But my caveat that I keep turning to is, once again, show me the point total, Paul. Okay? You know, know. just like in Jerry Maguire. Okay? Right? Show me the money. Well, show me the point total. Okay? That's going to be my line now moving forward. Don't tell me about the yardage. (laughs) Don't tell me about the personnel that's coming back into the mix. Show me the point total. And this is a Washington offense. You can tell me all you want about their shortcomings. They're averaging double the amount of points than the Giants. And if this gets into a game where it's a bit of a shootout, which would be different than what we've seen, okay? So meaning the scoring is, let's say, in the mid to high 20s, okay? Let's go there. Then you got to still give the edge to Washington just because of their consistency in getting into that department, whereas the Giants just, they've had trouble scratching the surface. If you're the Giants, you want to keep this thing as close to 20 points as you can. There's no question. Hey, I want to just mention, this is the legacy game before we go. You guys, if you've looked at the Giants' website, you'll see they... They've dressed up the end zones uh, to be like the old Giant Stadium. And instead of putting that big New Jersey Meadowlands insignia on the 50-yard line, they've got one of the old 1980s Giants helmets on the 50-yard line. I call it the Dave Jennings helmet because I think it's most closely uh, associated with Dave Jennings with the two bars uh, right in front of the, the sure. uh, in front of the helmet as, as the face mask, as opposed to Phil Simms who wore the separate bars. They weren't the ones that were closed in. So I, I call it the Dave Jennings helmet. Uh, so that's going to be on the 50-yard line. So it'll be kind of fun when you go into the stadium. If you're coming to the game on Sunday, you're going to get a lot of those vibes. You know, the old Giants on the on the side of the helmet. The old school instead, flavor. Instead of yeah. the Ed one. Well, not the old, old school flavor, but the recent old school okay. flavor. if you want to put it that way. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, and so that's kind of fun. Autograph sessions with legends, Harry Carson, Otis Anderson, and Jim Burt. Uh, also, I, bu- I believe uh, it was the HCI gate, HCL gate. I'm sorry, I gotta, I gotta, uh, I gotta. Well, you would know better than I would. HCL, it's okay. the HCL gate. That's one of our sponsors. I yeah. don't, I don't want to uh, make a mistake with that. Um, and that's really cool too. So get a chance, see those guys, tell them how much you appreciate what they did for this organization when they won championships. And that's an extra bonus uh, that's going to be going on. And and also is going to be a, an old fashioned with with the helmet that you see on the 50 pennant. That's going to be given away to the first 25,000 fans as well. So try to get into the gate early if you want one of those for your den. Yes, because they go fast. They do. We can speak from experience. They do. Yes, absolutely. So there you go. Legacy game. Giants Commanders, 1 p.m. Eastern on Sunday as they will renew their NFC East rivalry as that is going to wrap up the latest edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com. We appreciate everybody tuning in, and it is part of the Giants platforms everywhere, as well as Giants.com slash podcasts. We'll be back up and running again on Monday, recapping the festivities at 12.30 p.m. Eastern. For Paul Dottino, I'm Lance Meadows. Stay locked to Giants.com for all the latest, and we'll speak to you on Monday right here on BBKL. Have a good one. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. 
Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA.